listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. What is it to climb as a pharmacy owner? CLIMB stands for care, lead, innovate, motivate, and balance. Join Retail Management Solutions each month for a brand new webinar with interesting discussions on new pharmacist roles, pharmacy industry experts, and business innovators to give you insight on important pharmacy trends and the best way to grow your bottom line. The CLIMB webinar series is produced exclusively for pharmacies and provides tools that any pharmacy can use to reach and even exceed profitability and customer centricity goals. Let's listen in to the latest Climb podcast episode with Brad Jones, CEO of RMS. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining me today. You're listening to the RMS Climb podcast, where we explore ways to make your pharmacy more profitable and customer-centric. Today, we're talking about pharmacy buying groups with AAP Vice President of Sales, Wayne Bass, and APCI Vice President of Sales, Mark Million. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us today, and welcome to Climb. Thanks. Thanks, Glad Thank to be here. you. So I use this term buying group. Um, We hear buying groups, group purchasing organizations, uh, buying cooperatives. Are they the same? What's the difference? Can one of you tell me or tell us what the difference is? Sure, I'll start. Uh, No problem. So, yeah, there are differences in them. AAP is a a buying group. We're a cooperative a buying cooperative and, and uh, all the, any um, profits of the organization go back to our members at the end of the year in the form of a dividend. And so that's a cooperative. There's, there's also just buying groups out there, which are formed by, by it's probably a for-profit organization where somebody has formed a group and any of the profits, those organizations uh, keep internally as because they are privately owned. And then there's other groups that call themselves a buying group that might be just five, 10, 15 store owners that will get together and negotiate a deal with probably a wholesaler most likely formed around that, that arena as just a, a, a group. And uh, there may or may not be any dollars to flow through that organization, but they do consider themselves a, a buying group. So there are different little or distinctions there. Yeah, okay. I agree. I agree with Wayne. I mean, I tend to use them, uh, the, the GPO, the uh, buying group cooperative interchangeably. APCI is a true cooperative as well. Um, our members uh, buy stock in APCI, so they own the company, and then they can earn dividends, um, you know, based on their generic purchases through the wholesaler. Okay, so um, so there's there's a handful, or you know, are there there are a lot of buying groups in the U.S. Then, or yeah, there there are too many buying groups. Yeah, Brad. there's a lot. There's way too many groups, and we're we're too fractured. We're too fragmented. You know, the the number of times and over my well, 28 years I've been involved in this industry that I've heard pharmacy owners say, "Hey, we all need to get together. We all need to get together and do something. You know, negotiate with the wholesaler, get together and start a PBM, or get together and negotiate against the the against the PBMs or or whatever the case may be." They all say we need to get together, but we practice fragmentation. We we talk about consolidation, but we practice fragmentation and. You know, even from our own organization, the number of times we've had, you know, groups of pharmacies split off and I'm going to go do my own thing. We're going to take 10 stores and we're going to do our own thing. And, and, and man, just recently I counted up somewhere around 55 groups that I could think of um, that are organized out there in some fashion. And then there's a whole bunch of other groups that are, they're not um, 
legally organized probably, but we have too many groups and we need to, we need to stop that. We need to consolidate. I don't know what that right number is. Uh, it might be 10, might be 12. Might be two. <laughs> might be two. <laughs> well, be it's really buying power. It's hard to have a lot of buying power when you're that fragmented, I guess. And all that, that, that's a huge, becomes a huge issue really. Well, we got, there's 25,000 pharmacies still out there, independents out there, and we're all still just fragmented. Sorry, Mark. Right. Well, and I think you're going to see, you know, we've seen tremendous consolidation in the wholesale drug industry, you know, the, the regionals, the independents, um, you know, the, the buying group segment, we haven't seen that type of consolidation, although there has been some, uh, but I do think you're going to see, uh, you know, more consolidation in the next, you know, five years, 10 years, whatever the case may be. Well, I think that's an interesting thing because uh, as we were talking earlier, I I, uh, I was in that part of the industry earlier in my career in the wholesale side, and and I was the vice president of a, a independent drug wholesalers group, which is a, a was a co-op of of sixty eight of the seventy two independent drug wholesalers in in the early nineties, and of course all of the virtually all of those wholesalers have been gobbled up. I mean, there's very few independent wholesalers left. And I think, and I mean, it, not think, I know that this happened because of buying power in the end. Uh, just there was, they, they couldn't compete and they can't compete. It's very difficult to compete, say it that way today for a, for some kind of a small wholesaler. So, so that made, that makes sense. What, you know, do you have any feel for what percentage of pharmacies are, are part of a buying group? I, you know, and I think Wayne said earlier, maybe, you know, 90% plus, I agree. I think the vast majority are part of a buying group. They do see the advantage, the benefits uh, of being part of a group. Um, you know, it's a good question. I, I don't know that, um, I don't know the answer, but I, I would guess it's north of 90% easily. Yeah. So as you, Wayne, you mentioned, you know, when, even though there's 90% that are a part of a buying group, the buying groups vary dramatically. So, so, um, Let's think about, let's talk about the types of services that and functions that you, the both of you see with your organization, um, what you offer, um, the benefits you offer and that you think buying groups should be offering uh, their their customers. Let's start with you, Mark. Well, you know, we, our, our main function is to support our members, pure and simple. Um, we have a, a saying we like to, to, you know, offer a solution from, from the moment a member flips on his lights in the morning. Um, to lock in the door that night, any issue that he faces, we want to have a solution for. We want to have industry experts. We want to have staff members that can address and correct, you know, whatever issues they find. Um, and also, you know, we love the wholesalers. Um, but, you know, it, it's never a bad thing to have additional checks and balances on the wholesaler. Uh, just another set of eyes and ears making sure everything's being done the way that it's supposed to. Okay. Wayne, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You know that, that you know as a as a as a as a group as we are, and as as, as Mark and APCI are, is you know we do take admin fees from the wholesaler, and that's what we run our organization on. And so we need to bring value back to our pharmacies for those. So what are those value adds? You know, back to the organization. I think that's what everybody needs to look at their buying group and saying, okay, I'm part of this group for something. What are some of the problems that you are solving, Mike? Mark, you mentioned you know you mentioned some problems that you help them solve. What are some of those problems? Well, we used to have our own PSAO, um, and we merged with Access Health, informed HMA HealthMart Atlas. So you know one of the and again it's 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 a problem because it's so complex. But we're a mediator, you know, between the the member and the PSAO. 
There's always going to be issues that arise, whether you're chasing money, chasing claims, whatever the case may be. So that mediation between the pharmacy and the PSAO, you know, is a big uh, benefit, I think, of what buying groups can offer. Um, you know, reconciliation, uh, is everybody reconciling their claims? You know, we would argue they should be. We have a reconciliation service um, that members can take advantage of. Audits are still a big problem. Uh, we've got audit services uh, try to prevent and then try to chase and, and you know, retain uh, the money that they're, that they're chasing, trying to come after yeah, and I think data too is a big part of uh, you know what things that we're helping our pharmacies with is is is, is data mining and understanding what they what that information is they have in their own pharmacy systems and using them how, showing them how to use that to benefit the pharmacy increase their their profits from that direction. There's uh, there, there, there's huge opportunity there for pharmacies that they don't get, and I totally agree with with you on the the PSAO arena, the buy side. Um, you know, we also have our own distribution, our own warehouse. And, and, and even though we do have that, there's often times where we tell our pharmacies to not buy from us. It's the best interest to buy everything from the wholesaler. There's other times where we tell them, hey, it does benefit you to buy from our warehouse. So giving them that kind of advice, give them that kind of bottom line advice where, hey, it's, 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 it's your benefit. We're trying to do, we're doing stuff for your benefit, your bottom line, not for the organization, not for the group. So let me delve a little deeper into that. What types of products are you carrying in your warehouse? Is it, is it, do you carry some front end merchandise or is it all pharmaceutical? Yeah, very little front end. Most of it's farm, most all of it's pharmaceutical. Um, we carry about 2000 generic items, a couple hundred branded items, and we buy all those directly from the, from the manufacturer on the generics. And uh, so we, and we only buy items where we know we can save our pharmacy money. Um, we're not just going to bring product in just to say, hey, we got product on the shelf. If we find an opportunity in the market where uh, there's, there's price where we can bring it in and get a good rebate to the pharmacy, we'll stock that. So our pharmacies know if it's in the warehouse, you know, purchase it from that direction. Um, but again, we're only going to do that if that's what makes sense for the pharmacy. It's really, really important for the pharmacies to understand this outside buying I think uh, everybody's gotten a little uh, transactional. Uh, I shouldn't say a little, a lot transactional over the last yeah. you know, several years with with reimbursements and everything. If they lose money on a prescription, uh, right away they're going to go look to see if they can buy that product someplace else. And you can get yourself in quite a quite a quagmire with your own prime vendor agreement with your wholesaler you've uh, you've got if you do too much of that uh, based upon um, trying to win every transaction. You just can't do that. It just can't do that anymore. Yeah, there's a fine line, no question about it, no question. So for those that aren't using um, a buying group like the like yours, um, you know, what are the key differences that a pharmacy that, you know, that isn't leveraging um, a buying group like yours, uh, you know, what were some of the key differences they would experience in their ordering experience? Well, I would argue they're probably not buying as 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 well as they could be uh, by being part of a of a GPO, um, and, and I would argue you know standing alone facing uh, you know the PBM pressures, the the audit pressures, um, you know you, you just are, are putting a tremendous hardship on yourself trying to do you know everything for yourself on an island instead of you know hitching your wagon to a group and getting all the resources, the benefits, the value. Uh, you know, that we try to bring to our members. Yeah, there's some of those day-to-day -day things, you know, as, as Mark mentioned earlier, just helping the pharmacy through. They, there, there's issues always with with a wholesaler, no matter who you have. Uh, you need to have a primary primary wholesaler. But And sometimes all of our, our role is simply is, is getting to the, going to the wholesaler and finding, hey, whatever, what you're being told by your wholesaler is correct. Uh, and sometimes it's not. And sometimes it's, 
it's you know enforcing an agreement or you know digging deeper for them. A lot of times we are just that uh, second point of go to. Hey, this is what my maybe I've got a a, a new rep, a, a very uh, inexperienced representative from the wholesaler, and and they don't know things about the industry. Well, they can come to us. We can get go to other other people in the organization, get the answer, get the problem solved. Those kind of things I think is a really a big part of, that we take off of their shoulders. You know, there's. There's so many owners out there that are, well, hey, they're independents. And I've always said about, you know, the co-op, whether it was United Drugs I was with before we merged and created AAP or AAP, that the greatest thing about us is we're a co-op of independent pharmacies. And the worst thing about us is we're a co-op of independent pharmacies. <laughs> independents are independent, right? And they're going right. to do things because, uh, you know, they're they're independent-minded. But a lot of times, too, they'll have the attitude of, uh, you know, I don't I don't want to deal with the big three wholesalers. And and you're really not as being part of a group. You're dealing with the cooperative. You're dealing with the buying group. You're not dealing directly with the big three wholesaler. You're dealing with a smaller organization that can fight on your behalf. Well, and I think that's, you know, I, I, I talk to independent pharmacists, you know, part of my job, I talk all the time to independent pharmacists, of course, just like the two of you. And, you know, they, they're overwhelmed. I mean, I think that's it. They feel overwhelmed with what everything that's going on. So it, it seems to me having, you know, having groups like yours uh, that have their back, that that can help them through some of these things, the uh, the different fees, the chargebacks, the audits, all of those things that are happening makes a lot of sense. Um, so what what uh, what are some of the additional services that groups like yours uh, offer? Well, I think you, know, you can't minimize personal relationships, I think, and, and Wayne would agree, you know, uh, just having people that, that your members know, they know they can pick up the phone, they know they're going to be accessible, and they're going to get the answer to the question that they have is, you know, you just can't put a price tag on that. Um, you know, the PSAO help, the audit recon we've talked about, clinical services. I mean, we've got to have, we got to generate non-dispense revenue. I mean, with the declining reimbursements, everything we're facing there that we talked about, you know, you've got to have clinical programs in place uh, and try to, you know, replace some of the, the losses. We're trying to do that, obviously. Uh, the business expertise um, you know, uh, some members uh, run, some independent pharmacy owners run a fantastic business. Some, I think they would, you know, be the first in line. Yep, I need some help. I didn't learn this in pharmacy school, whatever the case may be. So, you know, we try to give them that business expertise and help them run a better business. Um, you know, front end, uh, you know, some are discounting the front end, writing it off. Uh, we don't think that's the way to go. Um, you know, a circular program, a dollar program, merchandising, marketing help, um, and, and certainly uh, advocacy and, and representation are, are so important in this day and time. I think one of the best compliments I ever got when I walked into one of our member pharmacies and I was waiting to talk to the owner and one of her, their front end personnel said, hey, uh, you know, Catherine, there's a, there's a salesperson here to see you. And she looked up, she goes, that's not a salesperson, that's my AAP rep. You know, that I'm, that I'm there to help them with 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 their business, and I'm there to help them. You know, with with anything, with any questions. I think Mark mentioned it earlier. You know, with any questions, any any needs, anything that's happening within the pharmacy. You know, and quite frequently we're asked questions about programs and services. You know, we have a lot of different vendors that uh, are part of the AAP program. You know, um, I think we've got over 50 preferred vendors. You know, that we have vetted and 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 uh, their services they provide, and we can direct them pharmacies to. Hey, which ones will be work best for you? Or 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 here, call these two or three. You know, vendors that we. Have have the, um, and then we also give them referrals here. This pharmacy is using this system. They're using that system. Um, they're using this program and, and give them that kind of um, um, support that, uh, that you just can't get on your own. 
Well, you know, and the, as, I, as I was listening to both of you, I, one of the thoughts that comes to my mind is that, you know, there's so much focus on the, on the, the pharmacy, the, the, the prescriptions themselves. Um, but as you were mentioning, Mark, clinical services have become a huge, a huge must in, uh, in pharmacy. And I, I would totally agree with you that it's a big mistake to write off your front end. Uh, you, you may have to, you have to adapt and change your front end. Uh, the, the day for a lot of pharmacies uh, of the huge front end, those, those days have, are gone unless you're in, you know, rural America. Um, but if you're in an urban setting, you know, it, that's more convenience, I think, uh, as what we're, is what we're seeing, but to write it off is to throw away, uh, revenue that has a, a pretty high profit margin. And uh, so I think uh, some focus there uh, is is still very, very important. One of the things that we've we've talked a lot about in CLIMB is drug-induced nutrient depletion recommendations uh, because of the high profitability. And, well, and one of the things that we're seeing, you know, Amazon is is here and it's real. And, uh, and yes, they can't deliver same day in most places across America and probably won't be able to anytime really soon. Um, but, but you can, as an independent pharmacy, you can deliver uh, same day. Now, the problem is that if you're only delivering prescriptions, then you added another cost, right? So you really need to be delivering some, something else, I think, along that, that way and starting to get pharmacies to think that way, starting to get pharmacies to look at what they should be and can be delivering along with those prescriptions is an important, important thing. So I just kind of, I, I just made a long statement, sorry, <laughs> got on my soapbox on this one, but are you looking at programs? Uh, do you have programs that deal more with clinical services and front end, looking at the front end of the business? Well, we do, and I'm sure you know Wayne does as well. I mean, you look at the the change of the world. How many you know times do they put a circular in a mailbox during a year? You know, 52 times. So they still see the value, the merit in doing that. Um, we've got a circular program that I would you know put up against anybody. It's just you know it, it's just you know it, it's it's top notch. It's a great circular, and we offer it to members. Uh, you know, once a month is all that we ask them to do it. Again, we understand the chains are doing 52 a year. Um, we're asking them for the commitment to do one a month and, and, and drive the traffic back into their store. No question. Yeah. Too many pharmacy owners have given up on the front end and they gave it away. It's not that they, yeah. that they, that they, somebody took it away from, them, they gave it away. They, they didn't do anything with that front end and, and not understanding that front end of the business. As you said, Brad, the profitability there. I, I came up in the chain environment. I came up in working from high school through the through the chains and through college. I uh, did uh, retail store management uh, for a while, and that front end is always near near and dear to me. And too many of our pharmacies they they open the front door, hang a sign up saying I'm a pharmacy, and they just expect people are going to walk in the door, and they don't do enough to promote themselves on on bringing pharmacies in. You know whether it's you know, COVID, of course, great COVID vaccines and, and the number of uh, the profits that pharmacies are actually uh, realizing from that have been been great in the traffic in the pharmacies. And that's where they also need to promote their pharmacy when that when the new patients are coming in. You know, our members are telling us all the time, I'm seeing these people coming in for vaccines, but they don't get our prescriptions here. Well, what are you doing about it? You give them a coupon, you give them anything to come back. And, and even prior to COVID, you know, we too many pharmacy owners are missing out on that opportunity during as we are seeing right now with with open enrollment market yourself as that Medicare resource center and, and, and be that place where, far, where patients can come in and 
figure out what's going on. I tell the story all the time. My mom, a few years ago, she was going to pick her Medicare plan based upon the ladies at lunch after church. And what one of the daughters said was a plan for their mom. And we were all going to do the same thing. Well, that's not right for you, mom. You know, yeah. um, I was able to help her through that. But our pharmacies need to take an active role in that, you know, and be that, 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 that decision place. You know, every single day a patient is eligible for Medicare. You know, you need to be the place to, to where that patient's going to go and say, what do I do? Um, and what a great way to attract new business. Well, and like you say, even during open enrollment or especially during open enrollment that we're in right now, I mean, you can't turn on the TV without seeing 15 different ads <laughs> trying to pull these patients away from our independent pharmacies. And, and yeah, we've got a program, you know, trying to do the exact same thing, hook a member store up with an agent, have that one-on-one -on -one personal relationship and keep these patients in the stores and yep. give them the very best option, um, you know, where they're taken care of. And Joe Namath and JJ Walker and all these other guys aren't pulling them away. Yeah. Finding that, yeah. that plan where it's win, win for the patient and win, win for the farmer. Absolutely. Not leaving. Right. Yeah. Well, and we did last year about this time uh, we did a, we did a panel with four, I think it was four pharmacies uh, to then how they handle open enrollment. And they were all very progressive in the way that they were, you know, working uh, uh, with their, with their uh, patients on open enrollment. And, uh, and so I think that's a, it's, it's a really good point. Uh, you just can't keep letting these opportunities walk out the door. Uh, so, um, the, uh, the other, I guess the other piece that I, I, that you made me think about is, is just, you know, letting that whole front end walk out the door, uh, and, and not giving it any attention at all. I talk a lot with pharmacists about, and I did a C uh, article for America's pharmacists for NCPA that came out last, last month in October. And, uh, and we t it talked about the front end. And one of the things that the pharmacies uh, forget about is that the grocery store really has a huge competitor to them for the front end. Um, and because, you know, back in the day or in the early days in the sixties and seventies and even early eighties, grocery just had grocery and pharmacy had, you know, front end had OTC HBA. And today, of course, grocery has OTC HBA. So you, you really are competing against the convenience. Everybody has to go to the grocery store at least once a week, typically. Right. Um, and so they have that opportunity um, to, to, to buy the things there. And, and we know that price is not always, is not the key in all cases, price, certainly can matter, but convenience, uh, can, can matter just as much. And, and so, uh, one of the things they talk about is the importance of merchandising your product, uh, in a, in a very, um, you know, professional, but, uh, fun, I guess, you know, give people a reason, uh, to, to look around, uh, end caps, uh, you know, all of those things are very, very important. And I don't think we see, um, enough emphasis on that, uh, you know, today at all in, uh, in the front end side of the business. Do you, now do you, I didn't ask this, so I hate to put you on the spot, but do, do you have any kind of merchandising, uh, you know, programs at all with, uh, either one of you? Yeah, we do. Um, mm -hmm. we've got, you know, uh, four merchandisers on staff that do go into member stores on a monthly basis and, and merchandise a section. Um, you know, I talked about our circular program earlier, and, and more times than not, that merchandiser goes hand-in-hand hand with members that are running our circular program, so they can go in and help get that section set 
uh, priced, merchandised, everything, you know, correctly. So they're ready to rock and roll when the ad breaks. Okay. Well, I, I, I do think it's a really important piece, um, you know, and again, that's something that they don't teach in pharmacy school. Right. But right. there's a, there's a, there's an actual science behind setting an end cap. Uh, you know, I mean, you really, there's, there's, there's a lot of research that have gone into understanding the importance of end caps, how they work uh, and, you know, and compulsive buying. I just, you know, it's, Oh, I see this, I need it. Uh, so it is really important to have these things within arm's reach. Uh, I mean, for those of us who shop at Best Buy from time to time, I mean, you have to go through the, the maze to get to the, to get to the register to pay. And, uh, you know, and they've they got all this stuff along the way. And that's really common in the, of course, in the chain world. So Well, and Brad, you remind me of something when you said that, you know, we've been wildly successful with the dollar program that we bought, brought to McKesson. And again, you know, the, the, the dollar ceiling, I guess, has been broken now with all the supply issues and everything that's going on. Uh, but there's still a lot that are at a dollar price point. Some may be a dollar nineteen, dollar forty nine, whatever the case may be. But just the excitement and the volume that that you can drive, and your store looks full. I mean, you know, for a very small investment, you can have sixteen foot of a beautiful dollar program, and you know, suddenly it looks like you're back in business, and it does create that excitement. They're going down the aisle, say, "Oh, I didn't know I could get that. Oh, I need that." So. You know, it's just been just been really successful for us. Yeah, we've got a Planograms program that you know it. it, it, it there's the Planograms are set up for the, you know for a full size store, and a lot of stores are smaller apothecary stores, and they they can't do the full Planogram program. But at least the program also lists the items from one to you know whatever how many numbers are in the category, which items you should carry, and it's frightening the number of times when you sign a store up on the program and you see. They don't even have the top 10 items in the category. They are not right. in the pharmacy. They, they, they didn't bring those items in. And, and uh, just getting them on that program and showing them, hey, there's some other dollars back. To, we provide dollars back to our stores, too, by being part of that program. Um, just get the right products in there, you know, um, big part yeah. of it. Well, and I, yeah, that's absolutely right. It, it, I, it shocks me as well when we do an evaluation with one of our stores and, and we look at uh, the, you know, the top selling items and the, how many they don't have. And then, you know, how many of these things that they keep on the shelf that haven't sold in over a year and, you know, the, not just not looking at the tools available to them, uh, you know, in, in, in the, re in the reporting. Um, so there's so much focus on that, on that behind the, the counter. Uh, and there's so much focus on inventory turns behind the counter. And of course that makes sense because prescription medications are typically a lot more expensive than front end merchandise, especially the branded stuff. Right. Um, and so you can have, you can tie up a lot of money in inventory and, and, uh, you know, in, in the back end, but boy, you can do the same in the front end. It's a, it's, it's really surprising how much money people tie up in inventory with that isn't turning. Uh, and I would have to think that, you know, getting 10 or $15,000 back in cash flow uh, would be helpful to most independent pharmacies. So, uh, you know, so don't tie it up in stuff that doesn't sell. Yeah. An early lesson I had read when I was in retail, I was probably still in high school and I was taking the sale price off of a product on an end cap. And the manager said, why are you doing that? I said, well, the sale's over. He said, we didn't sell it at full price. Why are we at the sale price? Why are we going to bring it back to full price? Let's mark it down and let's get rid of it. Let's, let's right. move the product. Well, and that's a whole nother topic, which I, I've done. I've also carried uh, last year one is sunk cost and carrying costs. And, you know, once this and why the chains do exactly what they do, you know, you get they, they put it on. It doesn't sell. 
they get it out. Eventually, they either throw it away or they donate it to charity, but they don't put it in a box and store it in the back room. Correct. Um, and uh, so <laughs> that we could spend a long time on that conversation too. That's one near and dear to my heart. Yep. Well, listen, you, uh, Mark, you mentioned something and I, uh, and I wanted to, uh, I, I wanted to address this and we're going to have to wrap up here in a second, but um, what are you seeing with the global supply chain? I mean, I know it's disrupting everything. What uh, has, how is it impacting, uh, how is it impacting pharmacy? Yeah, I agree. I think it has absolutely impacted everything. Um, and, and I may be all wet with this, but my personal opinion, uh, as far as, you know, our business goes, seems to affect OTC. A lot of the HBA items, a lot of the dollar items um, have been impacted really, really tough to get versus the RX items. And maybe that's because RX is smaller, a whole lot more money, obviously, like we said before. Uh, but I do think it's impacted everything. And in my world, it seems to have you know, really impacted OTC more so than RX. Yeah, same thing. I'm not hearing much on the RX side, but the DME side, uh, hearing some some problems there on the medical equipment side. And, and some of our stores, too, with the bigger front ends are, are, are saying, hey, I've got more holes than, uh, than, than I've ever had before. And there's just not a source to, to bring those products in. Yeah, the uh, so I'm in the Seattle area, and you know it it's just amazing to me the number of cargo ships that are just sitting anchored that can't get into port. All right. uh, and then I have a friend that's in the in the shipping industry, and he he coordinates uh, cargo all over the world. And he said, you know, you think it's bad here uh, at the port of uh, you know off the port of uh, Los Angeles or Long Beach? There's 120 cargo ships sitting there anchored that can't get in. So it really is. A, it's a fascinating. Uh, it's a terrible situation. It's you know, it's scary, really. Um, what what we've uncovered from from COVID as a re, you know uh, as a result of this. But anyway, um, we don't have time to talk about that and solve that problem today. <laughs> um, are there any other things that we didn't cover? And we'll wrap up here in the next minute, couple minutes. So, there, is there anything else that that either one of you would like to talk about that I didn't ask about? I'd just like to mention on the buy side, you know, from when you were talking about the back behind the counter, the, the prescriptions, the, the brand generics, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of drive these days from pharmacy owners to get a lower brand cost of goods, lower brand cost of goods. And that just doesn't really, it's, it's all just move cost, colored, cost dollar shifting that's going on there. And then too many pharmacy owners are making a decision to, to, to switch wholesalers, switch buying groups, chasing a brand cost of goods that, it's it's not all there. It's a huge math problem. Buying pharmaceuticals is a big math problems on the generic side, the brand side, the cost of goods, the discounts, the not discounts, the rebates. And, and it's really important that they understand all of those parts before they make a decision. And if you don't understand all of those pieces and parts, you know, get with somebody that does, somebody that can really give you that analysis on that. Yeah. Um, it's not just simply, hey, I got a lower brand cost of goods. This is a better deal. And I, I, I see too many owners making those decisions, tying themselves up in a two or three year agreement on something that's not good for their pharmacy or they're following somebody else's advice. Who's got a totally different pharmacy. Kind of like my example with my mom and the Medicare part D is sure. I'm, I'm going to go do what somebody else did. Cause it's right for their pharmacy. Well, every pharmacy is different. Every pharmacy buys different. They all need to know what's best for their pharmacy. Yeah, I would add, and I know it's cliche, uh, but I be, would be remiss by not mentioning it. You know, we've all heard get into politics or, or get out of pharmacy. Um, you know, times are really, really tough right now. We all understand that, you know, long-term sustainable change is only going to come from legislative reform. 
uh, you know, we believe so everybody, and we talked about it earlier, you know, how fragmented everything is. The only way we're going to have true change if we're all getting involved, we're all pulling together. Um, you know, we're going to go all in, uh, in 22, um, you know, like never before and try to impact that legislative reform. You know, you know, we'll see, you know, how much impact we can have, but you know, the point is you, you can't bury your head in the sand. You can't be behind the counter, not willing to do anything else. You got to get involved. Um, that's the only way anything's going to change for all of us. I couldn't agree more. And you, you can't, you can't just complain. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things, and I'll just make a comment on this. One of the things that makes this this change difficult is when you try to describe to people how this really works, they go, "Nah, there's no way. It's impossible. It's impossible. You're 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 not you're not telling me the whole story. I mean, I've I've listened to to my friends when I've tried to describe this, and they're like, uh, "Seriously, no, no way." You getting um, paid less than what you pay for it, getting reimbursed less. Yeah, really. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so insane that that is it's an uphill battle to get politicians or people to actually sit down and recognize, no, it's the truth. Mm-hmm. And it is insane. And you have to do something about it. So all of us have to get involved and, and participate in in or this change is going to happen. So okay. I appreciate that that part, Mark. Okay, well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for Climb. Really appreciate it, um, and we'd love to have you back. Sounds great. You bet. Thank you. Appreciate it. To our Pharmacy Podcast listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Climb Podcast. You can learn more about Climb and find more Climb content at www.pharmacyclimb.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.